Hey, 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 everybody. My name's Ryan Atkinson, and you are on Business Cloud. Today's episode is awesome. If you like exploration, adventure, uh, just hearing crazy stories, then the episode is totally for you. David has seen truly the world um, from highest of highs to lowest of lows. Um, he's climbed Mount Everest. He has gone all the way to that Titanic multiple times, has found slave ships like 16,000 feet under water. Um, it's just a really fun episode. He actually got hired by Jeff Bezos to go discover the Apollo F-111 engines. So David is very awesome. Uh, his stories are really cool to listen. I mean, how many people do you guys know that have like been the Titanic multiple times? Um, it was a really fun episode. I was so thankful to get David on. He was a great guest. He was really open. Um, and afterwards, he actually gave great advice to me just like, this is like the type of guy David is like, just like go follow your passions. I love exploring, go follow your passions, do what you love, um, which really resonated with me. Um, and that what I will remember a lot from this episode. Um, but guys, you got to check David out. You got to check out his website. Links will be in the description. Um, and if you enjoy this episode, of course, please press follow, please press subscribe. It really does help. Uh, and I really do appreciate the support. I'm excited to hear more from David. I'm excited to hear how the heck Jeff Bezos reached out to him, how he's gone to the Titanic so many times, what he's discovered. Let's dive in, literally. <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so, so excited to learn so much from you. Absolutely, Ryan. It's good to see you. It's good, uh, good to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, no, the pleasure is all mine. I know you're going to have some amazing stories. Um, but before we get started, I got to ask you our fun kickoff question, if that sounds okay to you. Sure. What is it? What, who would be on your Mount, Mount Rushmore of people that you admire? Oh, that's easy. Uh, my grandfather, George Murphy, Don Walsh, first person to go to the deepest point in, um, in the world's oceans, uh, Stradman Hillary, and neil armstrong beautiful i love it and that sets the tone for today's episode because you are literally i would call you like the fa father of exploration i don't know if you give yourself that title but i'm going to give you that title <laughs> no, no no the lawyer for exploration maybe and that's even a stupid <laughs> <laughs> but i do want to know can you just give us a little quick background about uh your history and <laughs> the story of david yeah so uh, it's I, I can I can actually roll it back to the answer to the first question. Um, my when, when I was born, I was born a young one. I was born August 28, nineteen sixty five. That was a Saturday. My uncle was the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, oh. and they were playing an exhibition game. And my father wouldn't come to the hospital <laughs> because. I was the second son and you know so you can see kind of what my relationship was with my father i loved him mm. but he was a role model um my grandfather my maternal grandfather george murphy was was though and here's a man who was afraid to fly but loved airplanes and he didn't know how to swim but he loved the sea and he would take me on a little island in, in New Jersey, uh, he'd take me to the little airport and we'd walk down the flight line and he'd say, that's a Mooney, that's a Cessna, that's a Piper. He'd never been up in an airplane before, but he knew all of them. <laughs> and put it point up to the moon and, you know, man's been on the moon. And there was a shipwreck on the beach that had been there since about uh, the turn of the century, the last century, and you could still see a piece of it. And he would talk to me about that. And he'd say, think of the stories that this could tell. This was in 
Japan or China and Asia. And so this got my juices flowing. And one of my earliest memories was when um, the first Apollo astronauts uh, walked on the moon on Apollo 11. I was four years old and I, and I still remember that. So my heroes growing up were not athletes because I knew they were, you know, Uncle Jack, but they were explorers. Mm-hmm. And so throughout my young life, I, I was a climber. I was, a, you know, I hiked, I lived outdoors a lot. I was a, I started scuba diving at age 14 and I was always curious. So, um, you know, from that, that's the arc of my life. Um, I'd never planned to become a lawyer. I don't like lawyers. I don't hang out with lawyers. <laughs> I, I have a finance degree with an economics minor. But when I was just about to graduate from college, the stock market crashed and all my job offers evaporated. Oh, no. I had to figure out where to go to ride out the recession. And I ended up in law school. I hated it. I, I didn't like the law. I didn't like the people. So to get through it as quickly as possible, I went to Africa and I studied in uh, international environmental law in Nairobi, Kenya. That's and so then I went to Europe and I studied international trade and finance at The Hague uh, and graduated from law school in two years and 10 days. Wow. Um, clerk for the chief judge of the federal court in Philadelphia got involved in a shipwreck case, um, went up to the Supreme Court. The decision I wrote for the court um, was affirmed unanimously, got involved in exploration, got involved in in, uh, in that area. And, you know, here we are, I'm about 55 years old, and <laughs> been to the Titanic four times. I've been 16,000 feet deep in the Bermuda Triangle. I found and recovered the Apollo rocket engines for Jeff Bezos. I was general counsel to the XPRIZE Foundation when they did the first private space flights. I know Elon Musk, I know Jeff Bezos, I know Richard Branson, not to name drop, but these are all the people that I ended up associating with. That, that's really crazy because how, how I actually heard of you, I was reading a book called Space Barons um, and they were talking about Jeff Bezos in there and like how he, basically reached out to you to go discover this. Um, what did that outlook like when he reached out to you, like, and you got that phone call, what was that like? Was it like, is it for real? <laughs> so Christian Davenport, the author is, is he's a terrific guy and, yeah. and, and really got to know each other well um, before he wrote the book and, and while he was writing the book. And, and I tell the story and he thinks it's hilarious. And I actually think it's hilarious. It was a, it was a hot day in July or August of 2010. I was bored. It was the afternoon. It was after lunch. I got a, I got, I can't remember if I, I think I got a phone call from somebody, or maybe it was an email about the Knights Templar discovered America before Christopher Columbus. And they sailed up the Delaware river in Philadelphia and they had a fort by the Philadelphia airport. And I was like, well, that was a time waster, but it was better than this. So about an hour later, I got another phone call. Uh, it's a woman, she won't give her name. She wants to talk to you. You were referred by somebody who I didn't remember. And it was, it was um, and she got on the phone. It was a woman that worked for Jeff in his family office. And she said, I'm calling on behalf of a person I cannot identify to see if uh, they would like an F1 engine. And I said, all right, well, F1 racing is fairly common. You can get one from 
Williams. You can get one from McLaren. You can get one from Honda. <laughs> you know, why are you calling me? And they said, well, no, 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 an, an, an Apollo F1 engine. So I was like, oh, 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 that. Oh. Get on Google, look it up. <laughs> you know, hold on for a minute. And, uh, and so she said, you know, is it possible to find the Apollo rocket engines? And I said, sure. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. I didn't know where they were. I, I just knew that it's possible to do anything. Yeah, I love so that. She, she gave me a, a fake name and a fake company company name and email and said, I'll, I'll talk to my boss. I'll call you back. Hmm. And so then I looked it up and I said, all right, you know, they're the Titanic, which I had a lot of experience with is, is two and a half miles deep. Mm -hmm. These are nearly three miles deep in the area that, of the ocean that NASA thought they fell in. NASA didn't track them. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't know. They might as well have said they fell in Pittsburgh. They didn't know where they were. <laughs> Anyway, you, this is a long answer, but uh, that's what it was like, and that's what Chris writes about in the, in the book Space Barons. That the very first contact was a was another loony that called me on a on a hot July or August afternoon, and I was bored, so I took the call and thought, "Well, that's two in one day. That doesn't normally happen. I maybe mean, every <laughs> week, one every two weeks, but I'm batting a thousand on on this day." But it turned out it was it was Jeff's. It was Jeff. It was his family office, and they were serious, and off we went. Off you went, yeah. And that's what I read on one of your article posts. Like the Titanic, like there was kind of a known location of like where it was at. Like you could kind of have a gist, but this was like you really had no idea. I mean, what process did you take to like discover <laughs> these engines that were three miles deep? <laughs> well, that was the interesting part. So the first person I, I contacted was Don Walsh, who was. Okay. Uh, the first, he went to the deepest point in history and, and he's got a lot of experience and he's my mentor and he's my friend. Uh, and we talked about it and I know I'm very close to a lot of astronauts. I'm friends with Buzz Aldrin and, and I had met Neil Armstrong and, um, and I, and served in Hillary as well. That's why I put them on there. And, um, so I quickly learned through this, this great website called Wikipedia, <laughs> That that the that the Apollo engines, uh, the Apollo when you launched an Apollo rocket, NASA only cared where it was going. Mm -hmm. They didn't care what happened to the pieces that fell off. Interesting. So they they knew three pieces of information: how fast it was going, what direction it was going in, and what altitude, roughly, the first stages fell off. Yeah, that's. So we had to then take those three data points and, and create a, a model of how high they went up into space, how far they went, how fast they were going, whether they tumbled, whether they went in like a, a straight, whether they went oh. in vertical, um, whether they broke apart. <laughs> we didn't know the speed of winds aloft. All these things weren't measured, but these mm -hmm. were the things that you have to do, like they did it for MH370 and Air France and all this other stuff. Just estimate where it was going and where it landed. That was first. And then we had to do what they did with the Titanic, where they knew where it was because they were mm -hmm. sending SOS calls. Yeah. And, and just find out where it went during the two and a half mile drop to the bottom we had three miles <laughs> so 
that was it. And oh, by the way, the Titanic is 882 feet long and an F1 engine is 19 feet long. And so that, that was the problem we had to solve. Then we had to, you know, come to the realization that the technology to do the deep water searches is really not refined for that deep. So we had mm -hmm. to finished it. Uh, we had to build out a ship. Uh, we went out, uh, we had hurricane season. Oh. So we did this for about two years and we did an expedition in 2011 that I led and we went out and we searched 300 square miles of the ocean. Oh my God. Looking for the eye of a needle in a haystack. <laughs> and we found the remains of eight Apollo missions. Apollo 4, Apollo 8, Apollo 9, Apollo 10, Apollo 11, 12, 13, and 15 or 16, I can't remember. And from those, we had to then separate out which one was 11. Mm -hmm. Jeff won 11. <laughs> that took a year of analyzing the sonar data. Mm -hmm. And then we had a pretty good estimate. And we were going to go back out in 2012 with Neil Armstrong, which I was very excited about. Yeah, that's cool. But ship went away for some reason. There was a hurricane or something. And then Neil died. So we offset and we went out in uh, the following year, I had another ship, had to develop cameras and lights and remotely operated vehicles and stage that out of Norway, go over to Norway. All this in secret, by the way, complete secrecy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and nobody could know who I worked for. So yeah. everybody I hired, over 100 people eventually, worked for Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me who Dave works for because I'm not telling you. And, and then... We went out, Jeff came out on the ship and we mm -hmm. ran, you know, he ran Amazon from the ship for a month and we, we researched everywhere. We searched again. We found Apollo 11 in the first hour of the first day, mm -hmm. on the second trip, not on the first. And but we couldn't I, conclusively identify it mm -hmm. a couple months after we got in. We knew, I knew what it was. Yeah. There was no sign that said Apollo 11 here. <laughs> uh, some people were skeptical. I wasn't. We recovered six engines and we identified two from Apollo 11. That's all. That was it. That was my my problem solving exercise. <laughs> teach me in law school, and um, and I hired all veterans of Titanic expeditions who I trusted. Mm -hmm. That's how we got it done. That's how you got it done. Simple as that. <laughs> what were like some of like the biggest moments on it? Because I watched like videos of it, and I know you guys were like in the longest weather holds like that crew's ever seen before. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was the thing we were. The, the Atlantic hurricane season, I have to learn, I learned a lot about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were in an El Nino cycle, and then it sw switches after three or four years into a La Nina cycle, and then there's in between, and that makes the Atlantic do weird things. Yeah. So it, it, this is about a decade ago. We had some very strong hurricane seasons, 2011, 2012, 2013. And I think there were 18 or 19 named storms. We went, we had to deal with four or five of them on the search. Jeez. One went right over the boatyard. Literally, I went right over the boatyard while we were doing the boat in Virginia, while we were rehabbing it. Oh, my God. In a colorful place that the locals referred to as Murder Park. Murder Park. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, the cops came by and said, what are you doing here? We're, we're, re, we're rehabbing this 200-foot vessel. Why here? Well, because it's out of the way. Yeah, we know, because the, this is where they dump the bodies. Oh. Said, you got to get a dog. Get a gun. Carry a gun. And we, all, you know, we were armed while we did the boats. So it's kind of fun. 
Um, and we decided because we had had such bad hurricanes in 2000, 2011, yeah. to go out in March, February, March, to avoid the hurricanes. Yeah. But in the winter in the, in the Atlantic, we have these things called nor'easters. Mm -hmm. And a pressure system came from Montana all the way across the US, winter storm Saturn. Saturn. They called it. <laughs> it was a nor'easter, it was a gale. And it, by the time it got to us, there were 60 foot seas and 60 knot winds. Wow. And in the upper atmosphere in the North Atlantic, there was a blocking system that came out of Britain West mm -hmm. and it stopped. And so winter storm Saturn couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And we couldn't go anywhere. And we were stuck in this maelstrom for eight days. <laughs> Every day to, to eventually it was 60, 60, as we call it, 60 foot seas and 60 knot winds. Oh, wow. And that piece of it lasted for about five days continuously. And we just rode the roller coaster for. <laughs> do, you, you know. do you even get seasick anymore? <laughs> yeah, I never say that I don't because yeah. that, that's the day you do. Uh, and Titanic, I was just got back from Titanic a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Yeah. I don't wear those patches that, on your neck. Like oh, yeah. Gave me one. And because and, I had to go out on a tiny little boat when they were launching the sub, and I was photographing. So I said, well, I'll take one today. But I didn't know how it opened. I didn't know if it had a sticky thing on it or how it stayed on. So <laughs> I do, but I I don't often. I okay. did my time. The only time in my life that my mother made me deviled eggs and orange juice for breakfast. <laughs> was when I was going on a boat trip with my sixth grade class. Oh, wow. And I was popular until about the eighth grade because I was the kid who grew up all over the bus, all over the boat, all over the people. <laughs> so that day, I got sick. <laughs> That's funny. And I also, I also want to hear about the Titanic because, yeah, you've been there when I messaged you. This is a crazy story for everyone that's listening. When I messaged David, um, he basically was like, yeah, I'd be interested in coming on. Can we talk after... July 7th, I'm heading out to the Titanic right now. I'm just thinking, what an email to send out to people. Like, that is crazy. Like, what an email line. Uh, but I read in your blog, um, you, you've spent probably over like 50 hours on the Titanic and you haven't seen the same thing twice. I mean, what are some of the coolest things like that you've seen on the Titanic? That's so cool. <laughs> um, I found the ship's um, compass pinnacle from the bridge. That was very cool. I've, yeah, so, so, so just for your, you know, people are watching or listening. I've been to the Titanic on four expeditions. I've spent over two months, two and a half months out there on the site. I've been an advisor to 12, 14 Titanic expeditions. They, they tend to come around every year, but they don't always go every year. And, you know, and this is, this is only the second one in the last 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, third in the last 16 years. Oh, so, man. So it's a small group of people that kind of do it over and over. Mm -hmm. um, just, they always call me. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I, I've made four dives to the wreck site. I have given up my seat in the sub now seven times so that other people can do it. I uh, just did it again. Uh, so PH Narjali could go down. It was, it was more important for the mission than it is to me. Yeah. And uh, I've recovered artifacts. I've 
So most of the, you know, there's nothing like coming up on this, you know, you go down two and a half miles, takes three hours to get down. You're north of the bow because the currents run south to north and you want to come in into the current so that you, it slows you down. Yeah. See it. If you get in from the south, just blow right past it. <laughs> Literally. And so coming from the north, you can kind of crab into the, into the currents and spend more time. When you see the, the mud rising and there's a hatch that came off, that's, that's the kind of the telltale sign you're getting close. See the hatch. And then suddenly it just looms up like this wall in front of you. And you ascend in the sub at the bow. <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy. That's when you start saying, wow, this wow. is pretty cool. But then you very quickly go to work and you start looking around. And the way we were trained is, you know, there's all kinds of obstacles down there that can trap you. And that's, that's it. You're yeah. done. You're going to freeze to death in two days. And, uh, you know, you will run out of air and four and food and five, but you're going to freeze to death in two. Ooh. So yeah, it's not, there's five ways to die in the sub. I just named three fire and implosion of the other two. They're both quick. Yeah. But you know, so that's, you try not to get stuck mm -hmm. and I've been twice, which is unpleasant. So it it's, you really want to avoid that. Yeah. Like telling me you should avoid crashing in a plane. Yeah, <laughs> worst case scenario. Type try, of thing. Not, try not to crash. You won't. It, you won't enjoy it. If you can talk about it later, it's a good story. But you just—it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, what is it like being stuck? Like, how how did that happen? And like, how do you get unstuck then? I hope there's no historians or archaeologists or government officials watching. But how you get un how you get stuck is you get under something. Yeah. Or you get hooked onto something. Mm -hmm. from the top or the bottom oh wow and so the way you get unstuck is you 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 remove that obstacle yeah oh or reverse like you get unstuck from the mud if you're in a jeep <laughs> you might leave some marks but you're you're not gonna think about it for the next two days you're just like well do i really want to damage this this broken up twisted debris that's deteriorating or do I want to maintain the integrity of it so when they find my submersible the next time they come here they'll say well <laughs> um, but you know you try not to and and it it happens though hey mm -hmm. um it happens occasionally yeah, I mean you're two and a half miles like down in the ocean, so <laughs> something's bound bound to happen at some point. Yeah, and but I don't want to be cavalier, but the reality is you do everything possible to stay away. You have there's this dance you do depending on the yeah. on the, the conditions that day. You're filming mostly, mm. and you have to get close enough to be able to film, but not close enough that you're not going to get stuck. Yeah, occasionally you you get pushed into something. Mm -hmm. uh, both times that I got stuck, it was in the in the stern section, which is looks like the World Trade Center on the day after 9-11. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> there's a lot of things there that, that, you know, we really try to avoid it. And if we go to it, we do a flyover and not get down low. 
That's because it's really, really, and it's and it's nothing you really want to spend a lot of time to to examine. It's it's not, you know, exploded wreckage is is not that interesting um, <laughs> when it can kill you. So so you you kind of move around and above I the feel. debris field. <laughs> Can you talk to us more about this compass and like the significance of this and like how you discovered that? Well, when I first went, I was uh, on the, an expedition to recover artifacts. It was a two month expedition. And, and I had, I'd won a lawsuit over access to the wreck and the company I beat turned around and hired me to organize their expedition. And I hired all the defendants that I had represented in the earlier case. So we're, we were down and Nobody, from what we could tell, had done a methodical search of the wreck site. They kind of went here and took up what they found, and, they went, and then they went here, Ooh. and they kind of, just because those submersibles are kind of elevators that go up and down, they don't go horizontal. We were in a, the Russian Mir submersibles that fly like helicopters, and they are capable of traveling horizontally uh, for great distances. So we wanted to do a methodical search, and we, we, divided the wreck site into 100 square meter grids and what mirror one was in one and mirror two was in the other. And we just methodically searched and the next day we'd flip the grid, do it again, flip the grid, do it again. So that's what I was doing. And, and um, we came across the ship's compass that was lying out in the debris field. So um, I made a decision that day not to recover it because I thought it was too fragile and it wouldn't survive. Yeah. Uh, but it was recovered on a later expedition and it didn't, it survived fairly well, but <laughs> not, didn't look the same as on the bottom. And, and a lot of times, like we found a piece of Apollo 11 that we called the cathedral piece. That was, a, it was a, a, the side of the, of the first stage. And it, it the way it tore apart, it, there's a, it came out and looked like a cross and we found it on Easter Sunday, which was kind of pr profound. Oh. We didn't recover it because it would not have survived. Mm. It would have been destroyed. And it, with the, with the surface current wash at, or when we put it on the deck or it would have deteriorated quickly and it wouldn't have conserved. And so we just imaged it and you, yeah. and you have to make those decisions in real time. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't, like I said, you know, if you get, if you get stuck when you should try not to do that, things are different, but <laughs> otherwise, no. <laughs> I also, so we're kind of winding down on time here. I want to talk about another significance, like find you had, and I think you called it like almost like your moment of sin when you discovered the slave ship in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like how that discovery happened. I mean, this was like... Howard, yeah, I mean, I'm curious about all that. So uh, Kurt Newport led an expedition to find Gus Grissom's Mercury Space Capsule Liberty Belt 7. Yeah. They found it, it was 16,000 feet deep. It was in the Bermuda Triangle and they searched an area and they found 88 targets in that area. Mm -hmm. One target was the right size and shape to be a Spanish galleon. So we went back out two years later and I was the attorney for this group. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to come so that I would Give, they wanted an on-site legal opinion to, and the, how they spent money to determine, you know, what my opinion was. And yeah. I knew that very, very few people had ever been three miles deep or more, yeah. maybe 20 or 30 in human history. Wow. And that appealed to me. You know, that's kind of like the 13 or 12 people that walked on the moon. 
Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll go and I'll trade out my, my legal fee, my day rate in exchange for a dive. And they said, fine. uh, On the first day they went down 16,000 feet and one of the subs did not find anything. And the other one found this wooden ship is perfectly preserved lying upright on the bottom with uh, the decking had kind of been eaten way down to, it was kind of in a tub Mm. and there was a chest with coins and a subtle two octaves, a telescope, all this stuff was just laying on the deck. And we thought that this was a modern sailing vessel that had sunk maybe in a storm. And so we recovered two coins and they were both from the 1750s. One was 1750 and one was 1780. Wow. We, we did this research over the course of the next five days and we did two more dive days and we determined that this was a slave ship. Oh, wow. And based on the date of the oldest coin uh, was 1809 or 1810. And we found gold coins in a gold snuff box wrapped in a newspaper, which has per- survived and it described the sale of slaves. And we found all these other uh, items that could have only been a slave ship. And I think it was only the first or the second slave ship ever found, but it was the deepest wooden shipwreck ever discovered. And I, I made a dive on the third day and we recovered uh, as much as we possibly could, photographed it in high def and then filmed a German underwear commercial. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been in a German underwear commercial. <laughs> and uh, so that, that, was, that was pretty cool. That was, that was uh, again, veterans of Titanic, veterans of uh, actually private space uh, trips, you know, International Space Station uh, vets. And uh, we were down there figuring out a, a puzzle. It was super cool. That is so cool. And like, honestly, like, do you like just have all these like memories in like your head of just like all these different dives? Cause I know if this was me, like just photographic memory of like this, 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 this. I mean, it, it, it's gotta be a heck of a life to live. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's, and it's an interesting thing. You know, I, I've had to balance it with my law practice. I'm a very busy law practice. But yeah, I formed a separate company called Explorer Consulting when I was working for Jim Cameron. And because uh, Jim has people, uh, I won't say, um, <laughs> in any event, I formed a separate company called Explorer Consulting because people, I found out in the, one of my legal services would say, well, you know, if I ever find the Titanic, I'll call you. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. You can't really pay your mortgage on that. So yeah. <laughs> So I, I separated the two of them for a long time. And I didn't do anything uh, for a long time on purpose. And, you know, I gave up being general counsel of the XPRIZE Foundation. I gave up being general counsel of the Explorers Club. And I, and I stayed home and raised my kids and then till, until Jeff called. And, yeah. uh, and then they were like, yeah, can go. <laughs> <laughs> my, my then 15-year-old son said, after Jeff announced we found the Apollo 11 engine said congratulations dad you finally did something that matters whoa <laughs> uh, thanks thanks son uh, guess all those trips to the titanic and everything he's like no you're you're finally associated with a triumph instead of a tragedy oh <laughs> kind of a good save it still hurts a little but <laughs> uh, he's 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 rough i just just we just did an event it drove 162 miles an hour on a two-lane road through the wilderness 
He's cranky because he didn't get to go to the to the after party. No, no. <laughs> you know, the after party, there you'll get plenty of times to go to parties in your life. You very rarely will drive that fast through the wilderness. And he did it twice that day. He did 187 in another in a Carrera GT. Nice. <laughs> pretty unique. But my kid thinks that this is uh, just a Saturday with his dad. <laughs> that's amazing i don't think a lot of kids have enough like a saturday like that with their dad <laughs> well i hope he watches and he understands that that's the case and that <laughs> you know, sort of uh different than what most people do on a saturday <laughs> that's certainly not what i'm doing on a saturday that's for sure <laughs> but how we, do i do i'm not doing that yeah <laughs> <laughs> we are we are winding down on time i gotta ask you one final question so you, you mentioned, you know, you obviously know Jeff, Richard Branson, who just, both of these guys just went to space, which is a huge achievement in American history. And Elon, these guys are all associated with space. So are we going to see like a David, uh, like space exploration mission soon? Or is, how is that one going to work? Soon, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I was waiting for Jeff to call me. I knew there was an open seat. I, <laughs> you know, and, and Mark, his, his friend, and I was a little, I was, I couldn't say I was hurt, but I was, it did say, you know, if, 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 if the phone rings, come and get me. Don't just say he's busy. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think where we are today with private space exploration is that the opportunity to go into space is going to be available to everyone yep. very soon. Mm -hmm. and it'll be less and less expensive and it's going to be more and more common. It's not going to be that unique. And yep. I really would like to be able to do that sooner rather than later. Mm. I don't have anything planned. And certainly, like unlike the Titanic where I get paid to go there, nobody's offered to pay me to go to space yet. It would be hell <laughs> yes if they did. But, yeah, I, I think there will be a, 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 a ride in my future. I'd love to do it. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, it'd be sick. Have <laughs> calls space. So. <laughs> I'll knock on wood. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Well, yeah, Jeff. I, if Jeff, if Jeff listens to this, I'm telling him to pick up the phone if you're calling uh, <laughs> and get you to space because then you definitely would be literally in the highest of highs <laughs> and lowest of lows that this universe has to offer. Well, you know, here's the thing. You know, I, I spoke to a bunch of high school juniors yesterday, and yeah. they're in science and technology, engineering, math, and he said, yeah, everybody's bitching about these billionaires going to space and oh, oh, yeah. what's well, not significant. Well, the reality is it's really significant. Oh, like, yeah. You now will have an opportunity to do this. When I was a teenager, the last man to walk on the moon came to my high school and he said, none of you are ever going to do anything significant in your lives. None of you are ever going to do, uh, you know, the great age of exploration has passed you by. Mm -hmm. And I was dumbfounded. You know, here's my first astronaut I've ever met and he's telling me I'm not going to be able to live my dream I'm not going to be able to fulfill it and I've often said you know f you Gene Cernan and <laughs> looking out at the porthole of the Titanic I said you know fuck you Gene Cernan <laughs> <laughs> give him a finger <laughs> kids today these high school juniors there's really no reason that all of them can't go to space there's no reason that all of them can't build habitats and space and and spacesuits and all the logistical things that we need and, and can't live in that world and they're and they're not just old life i'm gonna be 56 next month 
Yeah. By the time they're 26 or 36, and, you know, you just think about cell phone technology that's changed mm. and, and the two people went to space in two different spacecrafts within 10 days of each other. Oh yeah. And the tempo that, that SpaceX is launching is, is, is crazy. Like every nine days, it's, it's really an exciting time if, if, and there are a lot of opportunities. So I'm glad I'm here to see it. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I'm excited to see you in space sometime because I know that will actually happen. And I really want to go to space too. So maybe if you if you could get a plus one, bring your family first. But if you could get like a plus five, like include me on that, I want to go up there with you. <laughs> I'm certain my son's like, yeah, whenever you get that plus one, dad, I'll be there. And my wife is saying, like hell. Or my daughter's saying, uh, dad, you know, it's you have two kids. Actually, four. But, you know, my, my daughter would be like, hmm. Maybe he's done enough. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well hey, you got to wave to me when you're up there. It'll be awesome. You, um, you might be waving to me while I'm down here. That's. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I love it. Well, David, yeah, thank you so much for joining on. I could have talked to you for a lot longer just about all your stories. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you. Um, I'm super thankful. Thank you for sharing the, the wonderful life that you've lived and all the cool stories and just everything you've seen. So thank you so much for joining. No worries, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks again. Hope that people find this interesting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs>